Amen. Amen. Man, can I just tell y'all, I am so thankful my wife gave her heart to Jesus. Yes. She used to stomp her feet and holler at me like that. And then <laughs> how she loves the Lord and I don't have to. <laughs> Today's week two of a series we're calling Family Matters. We'll talk a little bit more about that. Here's our verse that we've shared so far and we'll continue to share each week. It's, but if you refuse the Lord, to serve the Lord, this is Joshua 24 and 15. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today, somebody say today, today, whom you will serve. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Is that your heart's cry and the, the declaration for you is for me and my family? Can't do anything about culture, can't do anything about our world. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. Is that your prayer? Yes. Amen. Uh, today we're doing something I don't normally do when we do these family series. Uh, because I know that we have a lot of different dynamics represented. We've got married folks. We've got single folks. We've got uh, single again folks. And we've got folks that are single again that are looking forward to getting married again. We've got folks that are single again that are like, I ain't never doing that again. <laughs> and so I don't always do a marriage sermon um, in the middle of these family series, but I am today. And so if you're married, this is for you. If you want to be married someday, this is for you. If you never want to be married again or for the first time, but have somebody that you love that does, then this is for you. So that should cover everybody. Is that everybody? Hope so. I'm going to help you today. Um, I'm going to help you because I found from a, a home economics textbook an article about how to be a good wife. Yeah, so I'm going to, I'm going to help you, uh, ladies, how to be a good wife. Are you ready? Are you excited? You're skeptical, I can tell. Somebody watch Angie. She's going to throw something at me. Um, here, here we go. Um, do you want to be a good wife? Okay, ladies, very good. Then here's, here's a couple things you can do. Number one, have dinner ready. Plan ahead, even the night before, to have a delicious meal ready on time. This is a way of letting him know that you've been thinking about him and are concerned about his needs. That's number one. Number two, prepare yourself. Take 15 minutes to rest so that you're refreshed when he arrives. This is real. This is a textbook. Uh, touch up your makeup. Put a ribbon in your hair and be fresh looking. Be happy and a little interesting. His boring day might need a lift. Uh, clear away the clutter. Make one last trip through the main part of the house. Gather up the books and toys and newspapers. Dust the tables so they might appear clean. Your husband will feel that he has reached the haven of rest and order. Doing this for him will give you a lift also. Am I helping you, ladies? <laughs> you want a couple more? Pre no, she said. <laughs> Prepare the children. Take a few minutes to wash their faces and hands. How about this one? Minimize all noise. At the time of his arrival, eliminate all the noises of the washer, dryer, dishwasher, and vacuum cleaner. 
you've had plenty of time to do these things. <laughs> you've had plenty of time to do these things during the day. Don't do them now. Um, let's do one more. Oh, there's plenty of more. This is this. Is this. Make the evening his. He is special. Never complain that he doesn't take you out to dinner or to other pleasant entertainment. Instead, try to understand his world of strain and pressure. So there you go. We started this with how to be a good wife. Oh, by the way, that textbook was from 1955. Would you say that our, uh, our, our world has changed a little bit? I say we go back to the way things were as far as I'm concerned. Just kidding. Maybe you heard the story about the husband who came home from work one day and the bikes were in the driveway. He walks in the house and everything's a mess, clutter everywhere. The, the laundry is stacked. The dishes are stacked in the sink. And his two preschool children are taking turns with their crayons drawing on the walls. And he's like, what is going on? He finds his wife upstairs in their bedroom, passed out asleep. And he said, honey, what's going on? She's like, what do you mean? She said, the he said, the house is a wreck. The children are out of control. Stuff is everywhere. It is chaos in this home. And he, she yawns and smiles a little bit. You know how you come home every day and ask me what I've been doing all day? Well, today I didn't do it. So I just want to tell you that our world is changing. The marriage dynamic is changing. Your relationship with your spouse probably doesn't look like your parents' relationship with their spouse. So write this down. The Christian marriage can evolve, but it can't be redefined. So what I want to tell you today, I want to see if we can't look into God's Word and get a really good definition of what Christian marriage really is. And then I'm going to give you a few things, a few elements of how your marriage can maybe just be vibrant and thriving. Because that's the goal, isn't it? Three of us want vibrant, <laughs> thriving marriages. Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. This explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. So here's our definition. We're going to break it down to a few, few uh, different, different things. First of all, Christian marriage is God-ordained. It was God's idea. So maybe in, in, the, in the clutter and the noise of all of the political and cultural definitions of marriage, here is our stance at LifePoint Church. We'll let the one who designed marriage define marriage. It's not up to our culture, and it's not up to whoever is in, in office. It is up to God to define what marriage is all about. And oh, by the way, Jesus, uh, oftentimes as he, was, as he was teaching, he would say something like, the kingdom of heaven is like... The kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven is like. And I'm going to tell you that your marriage should be God's opportunity to tell the world the kingdom of heaven is like. It ought to be a prophetic message 
to the world. This is how, when a husband loves his wife as Christ loved the church, it ought to be a display of how much Christ loved the church. So it is God-ordained, it is God-designed, it was His idea. <laughs> um, an author that I love, his name is Emerson Egrix. He wrote a book called Love and Respect. It's probably the best marriage book I've ever, writ- I've ever read. If you want, just dive into that. Love and Respect. He's not paying me for that. He said this, we don't have a marriage crisis, a marriage crisis in the Christian community. We have a crisis of faith. So the first thing it is, it's God-ordained. The second thing is, it's lifelong. Christian marriage is not a temporary arrangement. It is not a until someone better comes along. Now, let me hit the time out. If you're in the room, you're watching online, and you've been divorced. I'm not here to beat you up. We don't, how many know we don't dwell in the past? We're looking ahead. All right, so if, if you're in a marriage that it didn't work, well, well let's, do, let's, let's have a better situation next time. Yeah? All right. So it's lifelong. The third thing is, we're going to spend a minute on this. It's a covenant relationship. No, it's the third thing. God-ordained, lifelong, covenant relationship. Okay. (laughs) Just start stomping your feet or something. I'm trying to preach. It's a covenant relationship. My relationship with my wife, listen. My relationship with my wife is my primary earthly relationship. God said, a man leaves his father and mother. Now, here's something that was weird for us because we are very close as a family. We did everything together, and then my boys got married. And here's what we had to realize. We are no longer their primary earthly relationship. They have a duty and a responsibility and and a a Christian responsibility to their wives before Listen, before he spends time with me, Mikey needs to hang out with his wife, right? And, and I think sometimes, uh, even in, in Christian marriages, we get that out of balance. We, we've, we've got, we let our primary relationship get clouded with all of the other relationships that we have. And listen, I don't think there's anything wrong with having friends and family. And there's nothing wrong with hanging out with your, with your parents. There's nothing wrong because they do, and I love it when they're there. But here's the deal. I can't sacrifice what is right here for any other relationship in my life, including my children. It's a covenant relationship. John Piper said it this way. I love this. He said, staying married, therefore, is not mainly about staying in love. It's about keeping covenant till death do us part or as long as we both shall live as a sacred covenant promise the same kind Jesus made with his bride when he died for her we don't have a contract with the government in our marriages we have a covenant with our spouse and our heavenly father period so it is God ordained it is lifelong it's a covenant relationship It is sexually exclusive. Did you notice the the scripture we just read said, and the two shall be one? Two are united into one? It doesn't say two are united into twelve. 
We're going to talk about that a little more later. I shouldn't have to include this, but I'm going to. It is a God-ordained, lifelong covenant relationship that is sexually exclusive between one biological man and one biological woman. Yes, that's how God designed it. We'll let him define it. Well, Dwayne, I don't look at it that way. And you can. You can look at it however you want to. But a covenant Christian marriage looks like what we just talked about today. So you can call it whatever you want to call it, but a, if, if your desire is to have a covenant Christian marriage, it looks like what we've talked about today. And so here's what I want for you and what I want for me. I, 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 get, I get frustrated. You know, sometimes I have an opportunity to, to talk to married couples in, in a counseling environment, and, and here's what I'll hear. Well, we're just going to stay together for the kids. Listen, it doesn't have to be like that. I believe that God wants every married person, every person that will be married, to not just exist, but to have a thriving, lifelong love. Oh, by the way, past Thursday, we celebrated 38 years My Venmo is just, no, never mind, I'm just kidding. Um, sometimes we do, uh, we do uh, marriage conferences or retreats or whatever, and, and when we've done that, I'll usually say something like, my wife and I have been married uh, for 36 happy, you know, had 36 happy years, 38 all total. Uh, yeah. Four elements of lifelong love. You ready? We're going to talk about four different things. Now, if you were here last week, we talked about family matters, and we said that that word matter really means two different things. It's the, it's the elements, it's the substance of something. If I were to say the matters of heart, or if I were to say the matters of our political system, it's those things that make up a thing. And it also points to significance, like your marriage matters. So we're going to talk about substance and why it ought to be significant for you and me. Let's talk, first of all, about uh, the, the first part of these four elements of lifelong love. Number one are God-honoring priorities. By the way, there's a lot more elements, but we're going to talk about four. Here's what Philippians chapter 2, verses 3 and 5, and can I tell you, this might be the most challenging passage of scripture for husbands and wives it says do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit rather oh here it goes in humility value others above yourselves not looking to your own interest but each of you to the interest of the others in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. You see, the, Paul wrote that to the church, and so we're all supposed to have that about, about each other, but especially about our spouse. Value others above yourselves. I got a really good example of what that looked like with my father. 
So my father worked all his life. He worked from the time he was like 12. He, he worked in a, in a, 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 what do they call somebody that used, you know, used to have to go to somewhere. Do they make shoes? Yeah, well that's, he worked in, in a shop. Cobbler, thank you. He worked and then went to the Navy and worked for Southern Railway, worked for Ford Motor Company. And just, just, just when he was ready, very close to retirement, my mother got really, really sick. Really sick. To the point where she needed constant care. And so my dad retired just a little bit early and became her primary caregiver for 30 years. So I watched his dreams of retirement just stop. And he started taking, he placed the needs of my mother above his own for 30 years. He found ways to care for her. And listen, when I talk about that was his primary earthly relationship, he loved his children. He loved his grandchildren, but nothing mattered like my mom mattered. I got a pretty good picture of what that's supposed to look like. Listen, your spouse, your spouse needs to know that apart from Christ, they are the first and foremost in your life. And if, if they don't, let's start today. Making sure that there's not another human being on this planet for me but you. You know how I want my wife to feel? And, and I think sometimes I hit this out of the park and sometimes I fail miserably. I want her to recognize that there are four billion women on this planet and given the choice, I choose her. She needs to feel that. She needs to feel like there is no one on this planet for me but her. And I'm not just talking about, you know, sexual exclusivity. I'm talking about in my life, in my priorities, in the way I conduct my day. She's first. Apart from our relationship with Christ, she needs to be first. And that's what separates Christian marriage from marriage. Because I'm called to do that. Listen, this, this might not be the part you like. What separates genuine Christian love and marriage is a commitment to do my part whether or not she chooses to do hers. Because it's not just between me and her. I made a covenant with God Almighty that I'd love her like Christ loved the church. Well, what if she's not behaving? So I'm going to talk to some of you, some of us, some of all of us about divorce. Some of us need to divorce ourselves. Because what happens is we choose our behavior not based on what's best for someone else, but what's best for us. So let's divorce ourselves. The, the book of Galatians, I read this last week, says... Uh, Galatians chapter 2 verse 20 says, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I am commissioned by Christ to love her like Christ loved the church. But, but what about my needs? Listen to me. 
When this works like it's supposed to, and you have two people putting the other person ahead of, each, of themselves, there's this beautiful dynamic that happens where I'm, I'm doing all I can to serve my wife, and she's doing all she can to serve me, and we serve each other, and guess what? We, it, it just works. So let's talk about God honoring priorities. My priority, apart from Christ, has to be her. I hope, and you, I guess you'd have to ask them, but I hope we showed our boys that. That as much as we love them, and, and we do, and, and you guys know how I feel about my family, I, she has to be first. As much as we love, love these grandchildren that are coming around. Oh, we had her yesterday... <laughs> I'm sore. <laughs> People my age should not play tag. <laughs> but we did. Or fetch. She had me fetching like a Labrador. <laughs> and I did it, yes. So, it, wow. God honoring priorities. Oh, by the way, can I just tell you, and this is why I'm not I'm not, uh, I don't feel bad about, uh, about preaching this message, even though not everybody in the room is married. Uh, these principles work in a lot of our relationships. The second one I want to talk to you about is a commitment to sexual purity. Here's our PG-11 part. <laughs> Hebrews 13 and 4 says, Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. <laughs> we live in a world that is just full of sexual imagery, don't we? And sometimes that makes things like purity and, and holiness a challenge. And sometimes we just get drawn away by our own lust, right? Can I tell you a funny story if you promise not to judge me? So we had just been married a little while, maybe a year, and I can still point to the spot. We're on Pleasant Hill Road in front of the BP. <laughs> and so we're sitting at a red light, and y'all, you're going to judge me, but just know this was over 30 years ago, okay? <clears throat> and so this little sports car convertible pulled up beside my car. And it was a very attractive young lady. And she had her hair pulled out the, the part of her cap, the ponytail coming down her cap. And I don't know why, but I just thought that was cute. And so, but she pulled up just out of eye shot. So guess what stupid Dwayne did with my wife in the car? I just eased forward just ever so slightly thinking she didn't and I heard these words they still ring in my brain what are you doing let's get rid of the light the light's going to turn green it's, it's, it's fixing to happen it's, it's, it. she's like whatever now she doesn't remind me about that 38 years later uh, good job now, I, did, I haven't always gotten it wrong. I got it right a few times. Can I tell you about one time I got it right? Yep. 
I, I, this is, that was young, immature Dwayne, and here's how. So we were in, in, our, in, our, in our bedroom, like you can, there's a TV, and it, like my spot on the bed, you can see into the um, bathroom, okay? So it's like I'm triangulated between the TV and the bathroom. And Donna's in there getting ready to come to bed. And so the TV's on, and there was, at this point, this Victoria's Secret commercial that was coming on all the time, and it had a little jingle. Maybe it was Christmas. I don't know. And so when that commercial came on, I looked at Donna, and guess what she did? She turned around and looked at me, and, and we met eyes. And I was like, yes! <laughs> Bouncing eyes, yeah. Here's the challenge. Sexual imagery is everywhere. And maybe you're in the room and say, Dwayne, I'm, I'm, I've missed it. Maybe, you know, you're hanging out on websites you don't need to hang out on. Maybe you're doing things you don't need to do with your eyes. So let's, let's, let's put the past behind us. And I'm going to challenge you, men, women. Uh, by the way, you know, we talk about pornography use. It's not just a man thing, by the way. The statistics are going crazy about female use of pornography. And so let's, let's have this phrase. It might sound familiar. From this day forward. From this day forward, I'm a one-woman man or a one-man woman. And, and can I tell you, that is, and maybe you say, well, Dwayne, I'm not married, so I'm good. Listen, I, I'm, I'm going to challenge you with this. Reserve all of this is the PG-11 part, okay? Reserve that sexual energy for the one that will be your spouse. And, and can I... Statistic after statistic shows that the most sexually happy people on the planet are monogamous Christian couples. Do with that what you will. Man, I got... Yeah. If y'all only knew how uncomfortable stuff like this makes me. So, we're going to have God-honoring priorities. We're going to have a commitment to sexual purity. The third thing is unwavering perseverance. Galatians 6 and 9 says, So let's not get tired of doing what is good. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. You guys um, make fun of me sometimes because I talk about how perfect my wife is. And, and, and listen, here's, here's just a, here's, she's not. She's not perfect. And she's certainly not married to a perfect man. I heard somebody say it this way, that a perfect marriage is just two imperfect people who refuse to give up on each other. Now, I'm not up here to tell you our entire history, but I could tell you this. If we just wanted out, we had reasons to get out. Both of us. But here's what we chose to do. We chose to love God and love each other and persevere. I have this thought that, that comes up in my head from time to time because I have, if, 
if y'all ever go in my office, you'll see I've got these pictures that just pop up. And every so often I have this awareness. If we'd have given up, that picture wouldn't be there. If we'd have given up, honestly, none of those pictures would be there. And so I, I guess what I want you to hear from me is persevere. Make a choice with your spouse. Listen, we're going to... We're going to do this, and we're going to do it the right way. And, and it not, it's not just about staying together for the kids. It's about having a thriving marriage. It's about having that kind of marriage that shows the world this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. Not this is what it's like to go through hell. <laughs> There's a, an author that I read a lot, or used to read a lot. He's not in the writing books anymore. His name was H. Norman Wright, and here's what he said about perseverance. He said, commitment is more than maintaining. It's more than continuing to stick it out and suffer with a poor choice of spouse. Commitment is investing, working to make the relationship grow. See, I, if, if I'm doing my part, she's doing her part, guess what? It grows, and good things happen. Matthew 19, verse 6 says it this way. Since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. <laughs> I, I kid with Clint and other folks that ride a motorcycle that my wife has used the word divorce one time. I told her I was going to buy a motorcycle. She went, well, I hope it keeps you warm at night. <laughs> so honestly, I can say with conviction, and maybe I'm sure she would agree, that Donna would say, you know, divorce is off the table. Murder, maybe. <laughs> That's probably crossed her mind. Unwavering perseverance. Sometimes it's tough. Sometimes marriage is hard. Sometimes marriage is work. Sometimes marriage is painful. It's worth it. Sometimes, you know, I, I look back over our history. And I, I look at the rocky places. Some were from stupid mistakes that we'd made. Some were from stuff we had no control over. And y'all, there's... We get... How do I want to say this? We're not your model. You know, I, I love it when you look at our marriage and you think, okay, I want a marriage like that. But that, we're not... This is your model. Okay? I guess what I want you to hear me say is um, in, the, in, in the most challenging places, in the most rewarding places, in the most difficult times, in those moments that are Instagram worthy, there's been an undercurrent that's been constant for our entire marriage. I met her at church camp. I dated her 
after church. Because for a minute, that's the only time I could date her. I connected with her at our first, at our first, uh, at our home church or that we were together. It was funny because we got married very, very young. I was 19, she was 18, and everybody was like, "You don't, you know, you probably need to wait. Why don't you get married so early? What, you know, slow down. You don't have to." And I'm thinking, "Nope." <laughs> It's a whole other story. <laughs> and, and so we, we get back from our honeymoon two weeks, and they're all like, well, when are y'all going to have kids? So we're too immature to get married, but yeah. So here's the undercurrent. Not that we've always gotten it right, but there's been this truth that we believe that Christ had brought us together and that we were going to make it. We were going to do whatever we had to do People, and you say, well, you have to. You're a pastor. For most of our adult life, I wasn't. Well, that's not true. That's because I'm old now. <laughs> the very first part of our adult life, we weren't. All right, let's, here's our last one. God-honoring priorities, commitment to sexual purity, unwavering perseverance, and a divine partnership. Genesis 2 and 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. And all the men said, Amen. I will make a helper who is just right for him. Hey, she's not perfect, is she? But she's just right for you. See, it ought to work like this. A, a, a husband and a wife should function like two wings on the same bird. You work together in partnership or never get off the ground. <laughs> and here's the undercurrent that I, I was telling you about. See, if you look at that passage, can you throw that Genesis 2 passage back up? Man, she's on it. I want you to identify the the individuals in this, in this, in this passage. We've got the, the man. It's not good for him to be alone, right? And then the helper that's just right for him. But there's another individual there, isn't it? There's another character. There's another subject to this story. And the Lord God said, it's a three-person covenant. It's a three-person covenant partnership what I've learned is that the strength of my marriage doesn't hinge on my skills as a husband it hinges on the stability of my relationship with Christ I've watched my wife and again I, I hesitate doing this because I'm not trying to put her up on a pedestal you know, when we talk about marriage, I pretty much have one point of reference, right? So I've watched her over these last, especially since the boys were bo are, are born. I've watched her. I've watched her relationship with Christ grow and grow and grow. And I've had to ask myself this question. Is she growing because of my relationship with Christ? 
or is she growing in spite of me? What did I tell you last week? Your first ministry is to your family. So I, I want to be the kind of husband that makes her want to know Jesus more. And I promise, again, I'm not going to throw her up on a pedestal, but wives, you ought to be the kind of wife that makes your husband want to know Jesus more. And that's the partnership that I'm talking about. Listen, <laughs> there are these moments in life, I, and, and I'm not even going to bother trying to define them all because there's been so many. You know, the, we, we've lost three of our four parents. Those are challenging. We decided we were going to, you know, after we got married, um, we're, we were going to have a baby. And we, we knew how that worked. <laughs> or we thought we did because it, it took seven years. And, and those were difficult moments. Those were incredibly difficult moments. You know, all your, you, know you, you just don't know what God's plan is. And, and, and I think we had settled that, all right, if this is not God's plan, I mean, it's going to hurt, but we were kind of... And then Mikey stormed into the world. But I'm going to tell you that... The, the, and and I'm, I'm trying to, to just paint this picture of... And not that we always got it right, but I'm... That, that partnership with God has always been the undercurrent. That if I walked away from her, I knew I'd be breaking a covenant. And if I didn't love her like Christ loved the church, I believe I'm breaking a covenant. If I'm not a one-woman man with my eyes, with my, my voice, then I'm breaking a covenant, not just to her, but to my Heavenly Father. And I'm going to tell you that I don't want to do that. Well, Dwayne, it sounds like this kind of marriage is restrictive. Oh, no, it's freedom. <laughs> Look around you, y'all. The, the institution of marriage is in trouble in our culture. It just doesn't mean anything anymore. Well, let's turn that tide. As the church, let's turn that tide. Let's show the world that God's way works. I, 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 want the, I want an unbelieving world to look at our marriages and go, man, I need what they have. That doesn't mean you live a perfect life. That doesn't mean you have a perfect marriage. It means that you are doing all you can to honor God and glorify Him with your life, with your marriage, with your family, and watch what God will do in them. It just works. Donna, come on up. I think I want to end our service in a, in a maybe a, a unique way. If you're here, um, and, and please know, I'm, I'm not trying to uh, I'm not trying to embarrass anybody. I, I would never do that. I don't want to do that. But if if you're here, I, I'd really like to pray for married couples. Let me say I. I I want to pray for married people. 
Maybe you're here and your spouse isn't here. I, I want to pray for you. Maybe you're here and you say, I'm not, I'm not married, but, you know, it's, it's on the horizon. Might be, maybe not tomorrow, but on the horizon. And I want to pray for you. But especially, I want to pray for our married folks to this morning. So I want you to stand to your feet. If you're married and you're in the room, I'd love you to just come gather around this altar and let me pray for you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. that's above every name before we ask anything of you we want to thank you for the institution of marriage and God we declare and we're sure that that institution has been under attack and so God as people of God we stand and square our shoulders declare with our voice that God designed marriage. We'll let Him define marriage. God, help us to honor God with our marriages, with our families. Help us to honor God with the way we treat our spouses, the way we love our spouse as husbands love their wives like Christ loved the church. So God, I pray for every marriage represented in this room. God, some are, are, are walking down an incredibly productive path. And so, God, I pray that you would surround them by the power of your Holy Spirit as we partner with God for our marriages. And, God, maybe there are some here that are on a rocky path. But, God, I believe in the power of your Holy Spirit to heal, to restore and refresh as we surrender our own will to the will of our Heavenly Father. God, I pray you heal every broken marriage. God, I pray you strengthen every weakened marriage. And God, I pray for the marriages yet to be that are represented in this room. God, that you would give us insight and that you would help us start every new relationship with this thought that God ordained marriage and I want to honor Him in all of my relationships. God, I believe that you're in control and that you're able to heal, to strengthen. God, we recognize that the enemy hates this institution. Thank you, God. Thank you, God, 
that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. So God, we believe that you're able and more than able to save, heal, deliver our families, our marriages according to your riches and glory. We believe it. Declare it in Jesus' name. God, strengthen every marriage. God, make every marriage represented here a prophetic voice to the world that this is what the kingdom of heaven looks like. You're able. As we surrender our life to you, we are crucified with Christ. We divorce ourselves and surrender to you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you receive that, I want you to offer the Lord an ovation of praise. Amen. 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 Yes. Thank you, Lord. Now, as soon as you get in your cars, I want you all to kiss a little bit. God bless y'all. Love you.